Hi there. My name is Allie Kripe, and this is my podcast. Yay! Today we'll be talking to my longtime friend, Daryl McDonald, who lives on the other side of the pond in Scotland. Daryl is a reviewer for the Film Inquiry, so today we'll be talking to him about all things movies. That's the sound of Daryl putting down a extremely large cup of coffee on his desk. What's your Do you put like cream and sugar in your coffee and everything? No, cream? Did, is that an American thing? I don't know. I don't know if we do that here. I, I put yeah. sugar. Milk? Like. Oh, yeah. Well, it's like same. No, it's not the same. Yeah, we have like cream and we have a lot of like flavored creams because we're gross in America. A lot of flavored stuff. <laughs> flavored cream? Like what? Like hazelnut, like Irish, Irish cream, vanilla, pumpkin spice. We have syrup for that. So you got like vanilla syrup, hazelnut, like syrup. It's not cream, so it's it's it's, um, it's more thin. If you know what I mean, it doesn't make it thicker or anything like that. Because like texture is important when you're drinking that. Okay, so maybe we didn't talk about movies right away, but after a very important discussion about coffees and cream or milk, sugar or non-sugar syrups and such, we did finally get into a couple of discussions. Yeah, sometimes when I put my reviews up on Facebook and stuff, and maybe I'm just not being really. Maybe I'm being too modest, or I don't know, but I put my reviews up on Facebook and people were like, oh, congratulations, well done. And I'm always like, oh, it's not hard. It's not It's not like a difficult thing to get into. I, I fell into it, really. You know, it's, I, I, I don't like getting congratulated for it, I suppose, because I don't see it as an achievement because it's just not, it's, 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 it's an entry-level thing, you know, anyone can do it. But it can lead to work. So I think that's why a lot of people are congratulatory. I mean, it's still a stepping stone. I've been thinking a lot about that, about whether or not it can or will be, because what happened when I started with Film Inquiry and then now within session is I found this whole community of people who are film reviewers. So at this point in the interview, Daryl's girlfriend walks into the room. Everyone okay? Uh-huh. Or I thought you were going to tell me to be quiet or something. I'm looking a little sad. Well, I think this is what I was saying to Ali. I wanted the books in the background stuff, so it looks like I'm smart. So if you don't speak Scottish, because Daryl said that pretty fast, he just told his girlfriend, yeah, as I was telling Ali, I wanted books in the background because I want to look smart. It should also be mentioned that this podcast was originally supposed to be a YouTube video. <laughs> Appearances are everything. What was I saying now? Um, I, f- I found this community of like film reviewers, right? And there's tons of them. So all these small, like, websites run by these people who do, like, podcasts, and they all appear on each other's podcasts and stuff, and they all work together as a sort of collaborative thing. And I don't think those guys get paid. Like, they just do it for fun. That's just their yeah. it's their lifestyle, their hobbies, and that's what they really enjoy. And when I, I, I kind of found it, I'm like, ah, oh, this is a cool place to be, to be in and a cool thing to be a part of, but I don't know if it would ever make money for me, you know. Um, I wish it would, but I don't want to get my hopes up because I don't. I don't know if it has done for those guys, and they've been doing it for a lot longer than me. What I've learned writing all these years is that it takes so much consistency and patience and dedication, which I've not really had because I'm so impatient. Like if it doesn't happen tomorrow, I'll probably forget about it. So then you don't want? Do you want to write or do you not want to write? Like that's what I've always wondered. That or is it like hobby? I heard a quote once, right, and it's my favourite quote because it makes so much sense to me. A writer doesn't like to write. A writer likes to have written. 
that's the way I see it. Like, I like the process of writing, but more than that, I like to look back at it when it's done and say, yeah, I got what I wanted to get from that. I did what I wanted to do. Uh, interestingly, though, when I do my interviews, I did one today, uh, and when I write them up, I go into this little zone, which is really cool. I've got the my earphones in, and I'm listening to my conversation with this person, and I'm writing down the conversation and trying to like put it all together. It's like, the way I see it is, you get all these different little pieces of a jigsaw, and your job is to put it all together so it sounds like a coherent um, interview, a coherent sort of process. Ah. Because, like, I'm talking to you just now, and I'm saying, like, um, uh, because... But when you're writing an interview, it has to sound like it's just a straight thing all the way through. And I, I love that. That's so fun to me. So I, I get to sit and go in this really cool zone where I'm thinking, okay, what are they talking about here? What's that theme? How do I tie that into the next thing they see? Maybe if you're the kind of person who likes having something written, writing something short is the way for you. So writing reviews, it's not really long. It's got a beginning, middle, and end. I liked this. This is why I liked it. Boom. Sure. Yeah. I've always had a, always been nervous about doing reviews because, you know, who am I to really pass judgment on a film? I get like directors and stuff. Sometimes they'll give me their, their movies and other PR agencies will do it. And they'll ask me to review the movies and stuff. And, and then I know that the directors are going to read my review afterwards. And that kind of makes me nervous because I'm like, oh, who am I to really pass judgment on this? Like, I, I, I always feel like, am I getting this right? Am I, if I write this review, is this the correct way to look at it? Is this the right thing to see in this, in this movie? Does everyone else think this way? Am I alone in thinking this? And it's weird. Every single review I do, in my head, I'm always like, this is going to be the last one. I'm not doing any more because it's just nerve-wracking sometimes. And even today, I did this phone call today with a director. And in my head, I'm thinking, okay, that's it. I'm done with interviews now because they're scary. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep it up. Like, it's like it's um, imposter syndrome. You're always waiting for someone to say, sorry, we got the wrong guy. We didn't mean to hire you. You're actually really shit at this. Uh, that's our bad. But we need you to leave now. Like, I've always got that in my head and that's what's going to happen. I don't know, like this creative process you're doing, like this story and finding the actors and everything. To me, I feel like that'd be more fun than than talking about it. Like, you're not talking about a very serious topic usually, are you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I spoke to Robert Picardo. That was a huge thing for me, right? Because I love Star Trek. And Robert Picardo is like a big name in Star Trek. And then he kind of started talking about Black Lives Matter. And it became this sort of really heavy discussion about what he thought about Black Lives Matter and everything that's going on in America just now. And, you know, what he thought of Trump and all this stuff, because he's very kind of outspoken about stuff like that. And, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, okay, how am I going to get this into the article? But can I make it coherent and make it sort of fit with the tone of everything? Like, I don't want it to be, oh, Rob Ricardo talked about politics. Was he pro uh, or against? Pro or against what? Black Lives Matter. Pro, pro Black Lives Matter. Hates Trump, tweets about Trump constantly, how much he hates him. He's, he's, very, he's very liberal. Uh, I love him. He's great because he's, he's such an articulate, smart guy. So funny. Great interview. And I just did one. Last week, it was amazing with a guy called Karim Sally. He's an actor in a film called Luxor. Luxor is a 2020 film directed by Zena Dura. It stars Andrea Riseborough and Karim Sally. The plot on IMDb reads this. 
When British aid worker Hannah returns to the ancient city of Luxor, she meets former lover Sultan. As she wanders haunted by the familiar place, she struggles to reconcile the choices of the past with the uncertainty of the present. So he is from Lebanon. He lives in LA now. So he grew up in, he was born in France, grew up in Lebanon, moved to LA to become an actor. LA is where he lives now. And he was talking about the war in Lebanon and growing up in, you know, a war zone and what that was like and all the kind of strife and the drama that he had to deal with and the, the horribleness of it. And it's funny, he's like, you know, moving to LA, what happened in Lebanon prepared me for LA because it's a different kind of battleground, but it's still a battleground. To be an actor in LA, you still have to fight tooth and nail. And being in Lebanon gave me that practice. And I thought that was quite funny. Uh, but it's, it's, it's really serious stuff we talk about sometimes. He was so articulate about what it was like, but he said, you know, you learn that if you can still have an education when there's bombs going off everywhere and, you know, there's so much like chaos going around you, you can still have structure to your life and you can still have an education. You can still learn if you can do it in that environment, you know, you can do it anywhere. You can really, you can take that experience and apply it to anything else. Um, it sounds like a really tough thing to come through, but he was, it was such a wonderful interview. And like I said, the stuff we talked about was really serious stuff because I think sometimes people think this about actors and directors, like it's all vapid. So who are you dating? Or, you know, oh, what, what are you wearing? That kind of bullshit. Like, it's not all with that. I think a, a lot of actors that I speak to, they just want to talk about their, their, their process. And I always you know. hate how people can talk about that in interviews. Nobody ever talks to actors about the craft unless it's um, the actor's studio, I think. And say the actor's studio, yeah. That guy died recently, actually. He was really, really good. I don't care about who someone's dating. You know, I don't care about what uh, what it's like to be a celebrity. That doesn't bother me. I just want to know what was it like to be out there acting in this this scene, this filming in this moment. You know, yeah. that's a cool thing. I was talking to the director of Luxor as well, and she she was telling me. Um, so they filmed in this holy temple in Luxor because Luxor is like this ancient Egyptian city, and they have lots of temples, and it's uh, it's a sort of precursor to a kind of monotheistic religion. So. It's not Christianity or anything. It's going before that. And she said that she was in this temple breastfeeding her child. And she was nervous because she was like, oh, God, is this sacrilegious? I'm, you know, I'm breastfeeding my child right here in this this temple. And she asked this Egyptologist, oh, is this, would I get in trouble for this? Is this going to be sacrilegious? And the Egyptologist said, no, 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 because the ancient Egyptians, they were all about the kind of birth and death, like the cycle, breastfeeding with this newborn child in a place where, people have died represents that cycle oh wow wait where yeah. people have died well yeah it's a tomb where the sarcophagus is where they died and you know there's bodies and stuff in there from like god knows how long ago thousands of like years ago the floor yeah so she said that she was breastfeeding in the spot where their sarcophagus would have been which she meant was like beneath them you know um and i, th- I can't remember this but i think the egyptians used to bury so they used to bury like their 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 um, pharaohs in tombs, right? But they would bury women alongside them, still alive. Okay, so we have to stop right there to correct something. Um, according to the New York Times, although servants and women and other people were buried as a sort of sacrifice and buried along with the pharaohs, it was determined that they were dead and then mummified. They weren't buried alive. Because the idea is that if you whatever's buried with you, you take with you into the afterlife. 
And so pharaohs need servants to wait on them and stuff, right? That's really funny because my dad told me a story. The main gist of it was that there was a time period where a lot of people were dying. They had diseases where it was like they passed out. And for some reason, people would just pronounce them dead because they didn't have time. And then they buried them, but they put a bell inside of their coffin. Yeah, there were people in who were working at the cemeteries who would like hear the bell and dig up these people and take them out. That's terrifying. Can you imagine being that person? Like you're in this coffin, you wake up all of a sudden and you're, oh God, I would be terrified. Like I, this is morbid now, but I've always said when I die, I want to be cremated because I have that fear like of not really being dead, but being in a coffin and buried in the ground. Have you ever seen, I think it's a Ryan Reynolds movie, Buried? Yes, yeah. That's terrifying, that whole film. I couldn't watch it because I started and I got claustrophobic and I was like, I can't watch this. Right? It's just, oh God, it's horrible. I'm, I'm, I'm so impressed with people who can do that. Like, um, There was one with Tom Hardy and it's set in his car. The whole film is set in his car. He cheated on his way for the woman who is about to give birth to his child. And so he's driving from somewhere in Wales to the hospital to see the baby and he has to call his wife and tell her, look, this is what happened, blah, blah, blah. And the whole film is just that. And they carry it off like it works. You wouldn't think that, but it's really impressive. Unpopular opinion, but I hate Tom Hardy. Why? Why do you hate Tom Hardy? What's, what's wrong with Tom Hardy? I don't think he's good. I don't think he's a good actor. I think he overacts. No, but I could see that. Me and Justin were watching There Will Be Blood because he'd never seen it. And I was like, you've got to see this. This is classic. And Tom Hardy no, no, but that's not the point. The point is we watched There Will Be Blood and Daniel Day-Lewis, and he's like great in that movie. And then Netflix was like, if you liked that, you'll like this. And they did this pop-up of something with Tom Hardy. And we were just like, oh, <laughs> like, no. It was, it was like somebody trying to be as good as Daniel Day, and then they weren't. And I know that's really mean, but I don't, I don't like Tom Hardy. Yeah, I totally, the thing with Daniel Day-Lewis is that He's never the same in two films, if you know what I mean. He's, he's, he's a chameleon. He's so different every single time. But Tom Hardy kind of just plays Tom Hardy with a different accent. He's, he's this kind of brash, kind of geezer lad from London sort of thing. That's, just, that's who he is, and he plays that part really well. And then sometimes he'll do that, but with an American accent or with a Welsh accent. Or, and it's still the same guy. I like him just because I like the person. You know, he just seems like a really cool guy to me. When I think of acting, I think of, like when I was taking acting classes and there was a story about Dustin Hoffman and he was friends with Gene Hackman, but he started working, I think before Gene Hackman. And he said, you know, Gene Hackman didn't get cast in anything because they, they didn't see him acting. So they, they didn't know what to do with him. And I feel like that's exactly how really great acting is. It's like, you don't really see them doing their thing. Totally. But the best acting I've ever seen it just feels like they're there and they're talking and this is completely natural. Whereas sometimes you see an actor and you can almost see them waiting for their line. Mm, that's not acting. Well, it's acting, but it's, it's acting too much. Anything with Daniel Day-Lewis, like Daniel Day-Lewis, um, he's, he's like a capital A actor. You know, he's, he's big and he's bombastic. You know, he plays Lincoln and he screams and, and it's not overacting, but it's very big personalities. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, but he does it realistically. I feel like that's really hard. I mean, it is really hard. I mean, acting is really, really hard. It's not something like I, I know that I could never do it to that mastery level. 
that's why I started acting. And then I was just like, I'm, I'm never going to get to this place. Like I just know this intuitively. So I like backed out, but it's really not something that you can just do. I hate when people like, have you ever talked to somebody and they're like, Oh, I, I know I could just do this. I got the chance. And it's like, I don't, I don't, I've heard somebody say that about acting and I don't feel like acting is like that at all. No, no. I Acting is just one side of it. And it's the same with every job. It's like, that's just one side of it. The other side of it is how you get in those rooms in the first place, how you speak to those people and do those things. And yeah, I think there's a lot of people who are actors who are probably not very good, but they know the right people. Whereas a lot of actors who are probably really, really good don't get the chance. It's really putting all the all the bullshit aside and just being in that in that moment. And that takes so much work. Like what's the what's the, the the method acting thing? Like Day Lewis does this, so he stays in character even when the cameras aren't rolling. Like he's in character constantly. Did you ever see My Left Foot? He stayed in a wheelchair at all times. Like during the whole shoot. He never, he learned how to paint with his foot and everything. When I was doing filmmaking and stuff like 10 years ago, I was meeting lots of actors who were just trying to get by. And even the guy I was talking to interviewing earlier on, he's like, most actors, they, they won't work, you know, consistently 12 months a year. They'll maybe work one or two or three months and then they'll have like, you know, a period of, it's like feast and famine. So to get into something like that, you've got to really be passionate about it. You've got to really want it more than anything. And the like, mental and emotional strength you have to have to do that job because that will tear you apart just getting rejected that many times i'm the kind of guy like you know you say you walk into a room and someone will say too tall too small too fat too skinny like i don't like the color of your hair that was my life (laughs) that would scare the shit out of me i couldn't walk into a room and have someone just judge me on my looks like i would struggle with that so much so you do have to have kind of inner strength kind of inner resolve to know oh, okay I can just brush that off and move on with my life like did you not find that difficult yeah I felt like a pawn I felt right? like people were just moving me to places and I was just showing up I didn't know what to do I would just go in these rooms the worst casting I ever had there was this other girl at my agency who was sort of looked like me and that she was like a redhead and um she started working a lot and I didn't feel like I was working a lot And I don't know if it was mental because I was like, she's taking all the jobs or if it was because I was not bringing in confidence to the rooms I went in. But we had this casting for an editorial, which is basically like a magazine spread. And she went in before me and I saw her talking to the photographer and then she left and she was like so confident and beautiful and proud. And the photographer was like, still looking at her photos when I was standing like right there. And she was just like, wow, that girl has such a face. Like she reminds me of Tilda Swinton. And I was like, oh, cool. I've, I've been told that I look like her. Like I was just like grabbing at straws. Like I wanted, I, and I needed jobs cause I was not making money. And she was just like, well, I shot Tilda before. So, I mean, I would know. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm not gonna get this job, number one. Number two, she hates me. There was no point. I should have just walked up the door and been like, okay, bye. God, dehumanizing. You know, like it's not about your personality. It's not about who you are as a person. It's just about how you look in that moment. And, you know, you can look different at lots of different points of your life. To be judged on that alone, I think, is just a really, really tough thing to take. Yeah, and I mean, the industry does say that personality is a big part of it now. And personality is a part of it because you don't want to hang out on set with somebody for hours of a day who sucks 
you know, <laughs> you want to hang out with somebody who's maybe fun, but not annoying, not uppity. You're like their art project, you know? So you're not, you're not the artist. You're just the paint. It kind of felt like that. I mean, if you have a cool team, it could feel like you're collaborating. I think acting, movie making is more like collaboration. Because it's different. You're not like, I know that, I think it was Hitchcock that's like actors are cattle. But I don't see it that way because you, you've, you've really got to use actors to evoke the story and tell, tell the story of what's going on. You know, if, if actors can't do it, then you can be an amazing director all you want. You're probably not going to get a really good movie out of it. It was a story about Woody Allen, I think, actually. And um, Woody Allen writes all of his scripts very anachronistically, kind of very kind of old fashioned. I think it was Scarlett Johansson was talking about working with him on Vicky Christina of Barcelona or one of those ones. Oh, yeah, yeah. She said that she had to say to him a few things like, Woody, uh, a woman in, you know, 2016, whatever, wouldn't say it like this or wouldn't do it like this or, you know, or this isn't the kind of interactions people have. And he's like, all right, cool. Just, well, you know what I'm trying to get from it. So, you know, just take it and, and do it the way that you would you would do it. So, you know, to me, that's kind of collaborative because Woody Allen's like 70. So what does he know about a woman in her 20s? But he'll just write in the script what he kind of wants to do. And then he'll let the actors bring it out in their own way and kind of apply their knowledge to it. I like how he types it out. Apparently he still types it on a typewriter. I like that he writes individual handwritten letters like to all of his actors, asking them to be in his movies still. Oh, that's cute. So it's like a thing, like if you're in a Woody Allen movie, all the actors still have the little cards that he wrote out saying, I would like to be in this movie and stuff. So that's quite a nice thing. I like that. I like that. That's kind of sweet. That's the thing I like the most about the idea of filmmaking and stuff. In a way, I'd love to get back into it, but there was too much bullshit surrounding it when I was trying to get into it. What was the bullshit in Scotland? Because I only know like of LA bullshit. A lot of people with their heads up their asses. Just talking to people who thought they were the next fucking Marlon Brando or something, do you know what I mean? In terms of the crew and stuff, it was so hard to get people who would just show up. I remember this, I remember this, right? I, I filmed like a, a short film thing, right? And it was over three days, but it took place in one night. So the, the whole thing was Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we were, we were filming. Tuesday and Thursday were the interior scenes and Wednesday was the exterior scenes. On the Tuesday when we wrapped, I said to everyone, okay, can everyone come back on the Thursday with the same clothes that you were wearing for continuity and stuff like that? And, and you know, because it's the same day. Yeah. Thursday comes rolling around and one of the women, the actors, comes back and she's had a haircut. And I said, whoa, what are you doing? Like, I said, to be the same. And she said, no, you said to wear the same clothes. Like, did she have long hair and cut it short or how much of a change was it? It was enough that I noticed. And I'm like, oh, that, that, that. I think at first, oh, that's a nice haircut. And then I was like, oh, it's, it's going to be really awkward. And then this one girl, um, she since she's lovely. She's since apologized, actually, since this all happened. But I had this big monologue scripted for her. And she didn't show up on the day. And we had no more time. And I'm like, oh, okay, my actor hasn't shown up to, to do this really important integral part of the filming. What the hell do I do now? And I hated this. I, I shot from a first-person point of view. So she's like the camera from, you see it from her eyes, and she walks into this room. And it's like she catches her boyfriend cheating on her, basically. That's the thing. And then she's supposed to have this big speech where she talks about everything that she's done for him, and then this is the way he treats her, that sort of thing. She walks in, she sees this, and then she just walks out and runs away. And it it looked really stupid, I think, but there was no way around it. You know, if you, you love what you're doing so much, 
then you'll put up with the famine days. Because you're like, okay, when I get the feast, it'll be worth it. You know, but to me, I, I kept thinking, this isn't worth it. I'm not happy. So we had to end the interview about here because I had to go to my remote class. But Daryl texted me a couple days later, and he told me that he had one more film review to do, and then he was done. I'm transcribing an interview. I, I did one uh, yesterday, and I've got, it's a two-parter. So I did the first part yesterday, and I'm going to do the next part probably Monday, I think. And then as I was messaging you the other day, I was saying, I think I'm done after that for a while. That's, I was saying this to Claire last night, like, I think that's it for a while. So there's nothing out, there's nothing coming out, you know. Um, and, and what's coming out is in America. And, we, you know, we, I don't know, we can't access them here. Did you see that whole HBO Max thing? Like, Warner Brothers' entire 2021 film slate is going to be on HBO Max. You know, we don't have that here. I feel like there's going to be a lot of stuff I'm not going to be able to access or, you know, get my hands on. And the screeners that I'm finding just now are for really small films, mostly, and indie stuff, which is fine. I'll, I'll, you know, they're good. But I don't know that people read my stuff. Sometimes it feels like you're just screaming into the void. You know, like you're writing all this stuff down. Oh, I've got these opinions and this is what I think. And no one engages with you on it and you're like am I, am I writing stuff that just no one reading is going nowhere like what am I doing I'm not getting paid and I'm not moving forward so I think yesterday I just felt really frustrated and I thought I, I spent a whole day doing that interview like transcribing it that was like six hours what's the point you know well what will you do after this so I'm writing for a video game just now my contract I think is until January so oh. They may not need me after that, or I, I don't know what the situation is going to be with that. I'm going to have to find a new job in any case. Um, doing counselling is what I really want to find, something there. But I, want, I need something more stable, because I haven't had anything stable since, like, March. April. Is that related to the pandemic? Yeah, I was volunteering, um, and then we had to, we couldn't do volunteering anymore, obviously, because you can't do face-to-face counselling. I had to do phone sessions and they aren't as good. It doesn't work as well, I don't think. I've been doing nothing really for several months. I mean, I've been writing for this game and I've been doing my reviews and that's it. My hope is that in January, February, I'll find a proper job and and actually start doing something again. Daryl said the pandemic has shifted his priorities a bit. Next year, he's not sure what he's going to do, but he does think in the long run he'll become a counselor, maybe a school counselor. It was really nice talking to you about everything you're up to. Thanks for having me on, and uh, hopefully I'll come back and be able to do it again, because it'd be fun. That's all for this episode. Thank you for listening, and remember to like and share. Have a good one.